as we are looking now through the chronological life of Jesus, finishing up the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and, and working through the chronological life of Jesus, we're going to finish up this sermon today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So remember, this Sermon on the Mount as a unit was Jesus' repudiation of the oral law, the Talmud, the Mishnah, as we would know it today. Uh, And he puts this in contradistinction to the written law of God. And when you look at it in that context, in the context in which Jesus meant it for that day, that he's saying that if you take hold of the words that he is teaching you'll be like a man who has built a firm house on a rock. If you take hold of the word that the Pharisees were teaching, that the whole thing is going to come falling down in your life. This same sort of thing has many applications for us today, and I want to begin to think about that. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, that is the key, hearing the word of God and acting upon it you will see the contrast, everyone who hears the words of mine and does not act on them in verse 26. So the hearing is the same. If we act on them, something will happen in our lives different than if we do not act on them. The hearing of the word of God is the same. Jesus is saying now it's acting on them versus not acting on them. And then he uses this comparison. He says he may be compared to a wise man, in verse 24, who built his house on a rock. This is a wise man. So he says, this is a man of wisdom who builds his house on a rock. And then he talks about the rain falling, floods coming, winds blew and slammed against the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And then he says, those who hear the word and do not act on them, would be like a foolish man. And it says that he, he built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and slammed against the house. And it fell. And great was its fall. You see, everything is the same in that the rain hit it, the floods come, the winds blow and slam against the house. That doesn't change. Every believer undergoes things in their lives where tragedy comes, where death comes, where pain comes. And sometimes believers will look up at God and say, God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Jesus never said that he would free us from this sort of thing. The thing is our response to it, how we respond to it. The rain is the same. The flood is the same. 
The wind slamming into the house is the same, believer or unbeliever. He said, these things will come. But one thing will remain, one, one person's home will remain, the other person's home will be lost. So think about this. <clears throat> think of what's involved in building a house. Think of what's involved. You know, first you go out and you find a piece of land and they have to survey the land, they have to make sure that it's not too wet. They have to, they, they have to uh, check out the land and, and then you have to come in and you have to do all this design work before you ever even start. And then there's this laying of the foundation, so the foundation people come, and they just lay the foundation, and all this other work, and these inspections all along the way, and then all these pieces, long before you ever get to the finish work. There's so many steps that have to be done. You know, I have a <clears throat> good friend of mine, and he was building a ranch, and uh, uh, he's, he's uh, of Mexican descent, and he had a Mexican architect, the famous Mexican architect, built his, his ranch uh, outside of Houston. Beautiful site, and he had lakes put in, you know, lakes dug and water, and he studied all of this and built this ranch house. And this architect forgot a few things because he built according to the way they build in Mexico. They didn't build the foundation deep enough. So already after a couple of years, the house is starting to move because around Houston, the, the ground is very soft and apparently in Mexico, it's really hard. The other thing that he forgot to put in, which they were nearly done with the finish work when they noticed, the guy was looking around, the air conditioning system. No air conditioning system. Because they don't put in air conditioning systems in Mexico apparently. I didn't know that. No air, no ductwork, no... And so what you saw is you saw this ceiling, beautiful ceiling with all these huge, massive wood columns. And no air... And the guy is talking to the architect. The architect says, we don't build like that in Mexico. So they had to go back and retrofit and put in a special system that rides in the walls that have these, these slim things that, that, that blow out the, uh, the cold air. And then when they put it in, they didn't put it in right because you need really cold water running through there because you just have these little openings rather than many all around. And then it turned out they didn't insulate that properly, so there was all this condensate that was coming down and it just started coming through the walls as it was dripping down. It's been just a nightmare for the guy. He's a wonderful, gracious man, giving man. But things weren't quite planned right. And just so much stuff has gone wrong with this huge ranch house. Really beautiful. I mean, you just drive up on it. It's beautiful. But so many things going wrong. You know, my daughter was taking a course once in management, and she told me that they told her that in order to properly take care of a, of a house, you need to spend one-tenth of the cost of the value of that house per year on maintenance to the home. Now, I thought that that was probably a little bit on the high side, but it can't be much off of that, maybe 5%, if you include all the insurance that you need on a home. Lots of insurance you've got to buy on a home. You know, you've got to worry about fire, you've got to worry about uh, theft, you've got to <clears throat> worry about rain, you've got to worry about trees falling in from the roof, and then flood insurance is different. Flood insurance is what comes up 
You, you, you know, so, so if, a, if a tree hits the roof and it gets flooded in, that's one type of insurance. There's another type of insurance you have to have if, if the floods come up from below. And then if your house is below a certain level, your flood insurance goes up massively. So many things you've got to get. You've got to get air conditioning systems, and you've got to constantly take care of a home. There's, you know, the, the toilet in this room is broken, or that thing is dripping, and so many things going on, and you constantly keep up with it. It's just like cleaning. I mean, you can go without cleaning your dorm room forever, and it doesn't look much different. <laughs> but with a house, you've got to constantly be cleaning a house. And, and so, you know, when you guys leave on Sunday afternoons, I mean, the maid comes in on Monday and works with Shireen, and they just start scrubbing the floors. You say, well, the floor didn't look bad. Uh, yeah, it really did. If you came in the next week, it, two or three weeks of not scrubbing that floor after you get all that foot traffic. And we, have, we must have pounds of paint on the walls in the lower portion of our home. I mean, you just paint and paint over it again and paint over it again. You've got to do this. There's maintenance on a house. Jesus compares the same thing to a life. It's constantly putting in something of the value of the home. So remember, the home is worth, I'm not talking about the land, but just the structure is, say, worth $200,000. Professionals would say you have to spend $20,000 a year, at least $10,000 a year on the maintenance of that house because you've got air conditioning systems that go, you, got, you, got, you have to have the, the, uh, the exterminators come in, and the regular exterminators that come in every four months are different than the exterminators that come in and check for the termites once a year to make sure you don't have termites coming in. So lots of maintenance on a home. So think about it before you buy a home. I mean, there's a lot of maintenance if you want to keep the thing upright. It is the same in a family. It is the same in our lives. There is this building that goes on and this foundation that has to go on. And so when I flippantly see people flippantly come into marriage and say, well, we're going to get married. And think that once they've been married, they're set. They've done everything. All the planning was done. We, got, we had the wedding. Like, this is just the beginning. Do you know how much you have to do to maintain that marriage? It is a big deal. There's commitments that have to be kept there's working between different people that has to be done in that marriage in order to keep it together. Jesus said, if you build this upon a firm foundation, you build this right, it's going to be great, but you also have to maintain it. That home must be maintained or it will start falling apart. It doesn't take long for it to start falling apart. You know, we just had our trees trimmed in the front of the house and it's, it's bothering Shireen that the the tree trimmer cut too many limbs off. But, you know, what are you going to do? I, I kind of like it. I mean, now you could see the house because, you know, you move in and the trees are small and before you know it, you can't even see the house anymore. Because all this stuff starts growing around it and it just kind of slowly comes up on you. It's the same in families. It's the same in lives. If you don't keep trimming these things and working with it and having gardeners in or doing it yourself or something, You've got to constantly be cutting that grass. If it's two weeks and you haven't cut the grass in Texas, I mean, your house starts looking like it's been condemned. And you've got to keep up with this thing. It is the same in your personal life. Jesus said, if you don't build this house right, if you don't build it right and maintain it right, it is going to come falling down. As a believer, if you want to maintain a proper family, let me warn you about some of the things that you have to maintain. 
You have to maintain this relationship with this individual. You can't just say, well, he ticked me off. I'll show him. won't talk to him for a week. I mean, you're going to have more problems. There are things that you have to deal with. You have to deal with it. So the things that you were able to do formerly, you can't do anymore. You have to get these things resolved. Be very quick to go to counseling. Very quick to go to counseling. There's been times in my marriage, and, and in every case, I was the one who initiated it. I mean, some women think that, that, that you women always have to initiate going out and getting help. Not so, not in my marriage. When there were, were, were troubles, we, I would initiate it. I would find a counselor. We'd go out and we'd get some counseling. Because I believe in going to professionals. If you want chemistry advice, you come to me. I really know chemistry. Alright? You want advice with chemistry, you come to me. Do you think you could just sit there in your home and think, well, I have some chemistry questions, but I'll just, I'll just fly by the seat of my pants and I'll figure this thing out. I'll just mix a few things together and we'll get this solved. Not going to happen. You go to an expert when you want chemical advice. You want to design a house, who do you go to? You go to an architect. I'd like to see you sit down and design a house. You'll forget the air conditioning system. You'll leave something like that out. And you've got to go to the right expert. You don't get a Mexican architect to build something in Houston. You've got to get somebody who understands the dynamic of that sort of relationship. And we have no problem bringing our cars to an auto mechanic to get it fixed, right? But we feel with our marriage, no, no, that I, I can take care of that. I'm an, I'm an expert. So I'm no expert in marriage. I mean, there's people that study Counseling, study marriage counseling. It means that they're reading all the time of studies that have been done of what works and what doesn't work. Christian counselors who study Christian marriage counseling. And all of a sudden, you're an expert and they are not? No, you go to experts for help. There's nothing wrong with that. You put something, you invest something into the family, you invest something into the home. This is the same with relationship. As a believer... As a believer, when you get married, you have to develop this thing. You have to develop the relationship that you personally have with God so you have something to bring into that marriage. My children know that if they wake up early in the morning, where their father is going to be. They know exactly that, you know, down at the foot of those steps, I'm going to be there on my knees with my Bible. That's where I am in the morning. And they grew up knowing that. That built tremendous stability in their lives. My daughter is home from graduate school, from, from law school. She's 26 years old. She woke up. The first thing she did, she came downstairs and she says, she knew where I would be. She came right down. She said, Dad, is this an insect bite? You know, she knew exactly where I was. My children know that I'm going to be guarding that home in prayer in the morning. That is my job. You must be purposeful in this. If you think that just willy-nilly you're going to get... You're going to be set in life. You're not going to be set in life. Jesus said, there is, this man is a wise man. He calculated this. He calculated, this is where I need to build my house, on top of that rock. I could build it faster on the sand because it's very easy to just pound these things right into the sand and start building my house. But I need to build this on this foundation. You must be purposeful in your life, in your relationship, in your family, and in your Christian walk, if you think that you could just keep going like you were doing in high school, 
and just once in a while reading your Bible and once in a while going to church, it is different. It is different. The world will tear you up. You think you can take it, no problem. You can live according to the way the world lives. I have seen the world and I have seen how tough it is and how young people who think that they have the world by the tail and they can do this and go out and party with this group and do that, their lives are destroyed. You give them a decade and they're falling apart. They become cynical and they become angry. It, you must be purposeful in your life to do this. Women need to learn how to take from the Word of God and not expect that their husband is going to give them everything. If I just get this guy, he'll take care of me. Not so. There is no man, no man that can meet all of your needs. It is impossible. Only God can fulfill your needs. You look to God to fulfill you, and you will be fulfilled. He can fill you from deep within. You know, and I've known some women to think, when I take, marry that guy, he'll take care of everything. He won't. You will be greatly disappointed. Many women think that their husbands are going to take care of everything. They can't. They're incapable of it. God is the one who will fulfill you. God will fulfill you. He will sustain you. That's not that your husband doesn't help. But the true fulfillment comes from the Lord. You build your house on this rock of Jesus Christ. He will fulfill you. And there will be times that Jesus alone, can, only Jesus can fulfill you. I see some women with such needs. And I think, your husband can never meet this need. I was talking once with one of my graduate students and she was saying of, of her fiancé, she said, he is never there for me. Just wasn't there for me. I said, look, your dad just passed away. This young man is incapable of ministering to you the way you want to be ministered to. He's just a young guy. He's just engaged. He doesn't know how to do this. He doesn't know how to fulfill this role in your life that you as an only child had with your father. Your father is now gone. He can't meet this need in your life. Quit thinking that he hasn't been there for you. He doesn't know how. You can't teach someone, you, you can't expect someone to be a, a concert pianist without giving them piano lessons. You can't. I mean, the kid was just a young guy. And she was so upset with him because he wasn't fulfilling her in this time of need when her father passed away. But she was, he, he, he was incapable. She needed to learn to go to God. Only God could fulfill that. So, this is what he says. He says, you build your house upon this rock. And if you don't, it will come crashing down. There are lifestyles that you get. You know, I've seen people that, that as young couples, they were always going out at night, you know, and, and going out on the town and doing all these things. And now they get married. And so different things have to happen. You need to be purposeful in setting these things right. There are certain lifestyle changes that you have to make in your life. You can't stay out late all the time. You've got to go to bed early. You've got to rise up early and spend time with the Lord. These are the patterns that need to be established in a life. And it takes constant maintenance. Just because the wedding's over and all the planning's done and now you're set and you're good to go. Wrong! That's why more than half of these in the church fail. Let me make it more vivid. Alright? So, that means that 
according statistically, more than half of you in this class are going to end up in the pain of divorce. And you think, couldn't happen to me. You are the one that it could most happen to then. If you think it couldn't happen to me, you are the one to whom it could most happen to. Because pride goes before a fall. We must constantly be vigilant. This could happen to me. You know, it's for the same reason I wear a seatbelt. You know, I've heard some guy, ah, nothing will happen to me. (laughs) No, it could certainly happen to me. You must take steps to guard this thing. And I have known people in this church that are active, active in ministry, serving. And then they end up, you know, finding some some, uh, beachfront home. And so they stop coming to church. And all they do is every weekend they go to the beachfront home and fixing it up, fixing it up. And before you know it, the marriage splits. I mean, after 30 years of marriage. You say, how could this happen? You start neglecting a house, it starts falling apart very, very quickly. You look at a house that has not been lived in for a year. You think, oh, it's going to stay clean. No, you come back after a year, you can't even turn the faucets. I mean, they are frozen. And there are roaches that have just moved in there and have taken over. You leave a house vacant for a year, it is just in pieces. You have to constantly be there and there would be all these vines overgrown over the thing. It looks like it's just got to be condemned. You have to be vigilant and it takes constant work in a life, in a marriage, in a relationship, in a community. I mean, there are steps that I take as a father. Let me give you an example. My, my son, Ben, he's, he's been... You know, he's good in every subject. I mean, the kid is good in every subject. And so we thought, you know, he thought he'd go to medical school or he'd study biochemistry or something. And he takes this, this Berkman test, which, which gives you an evaluation of what you might enjoy doing in life. And it ranks him very low, well, you know, just like in the 50th percentile of enjoying science. But he really would like, it says, clerical and administrative, like senior level management type stuff. I'm not a senior level manager. What do I know about running companies and being a CEO and all of this? So what do I do as a father? I call in my friend who's a very successful investment banker. I say, help me out here. So this is what what, what was shown in my son's test. We start talking about it. How can he learn about this? How can we really assess this? Then I write to another friend who's a very successful Investor here in town. Very successful. I am going where? To the experts. You know, I'm not an expert in that, so I'm appealing to these experts. Give me some advice for my son. And so he gives me some advice, and I give him the resume. And and, and, uh, Ben was all set up to work in the NASA Space Medicine Program this summer, associated with Baylor College of Medicine. But now he's going to be working for a company learning marketing, learning sales, and, uh, um, and learning investing just to try it for a summer. Why do I do this? Because I'm a good father. But you see, this is the steps you have to take. You do this for the people that you care about. And Ben is the type of child that would listen to me. Not all children listen to their parents. And so we talk about this sort of thing. And then I took him downtown to interview with a guy who's one of the most successful businessmen in Houston. In fact, I asked another investor friend, I said, tell me what you know about this guy. He says, that guy is the most powerful and richest man in Houston. I said, well, that's 
the man who, and I've met this man before. I've had lunch with him a couple times. And so I sent him my son's resume. I said, I want you to talk with him. So we went downtown together, met with this guy in his office, and, he pulled, and, and for an hour he spoke with my son. I took him to the best. To the best that I could get him to, I took him to. If I had known, if I, if I had known uh, Warren Buffett, I would have taken him there. And this guy gave him counsel, gave him instruction. I wanted him to learn from the best. When my other son was a kicker in football, I mean, every day I was out there and holding this football and he'd kick. The best thing I ever bought was an automatic holder that held the ball. Because I used to sit there and he'd kick and all this mud would you know, go in my face. I mean, day after day after day. I would take him kicking. And then I'd take him to the best expert kicking camps, which were really expensive. Because this was important to him. This is what you do. The same thing spiritually I did with my kids. Wake up early in the morning, we have family devotions. I invest something into this. You say, oh, this is very glorious all the time. Sometimes I am really tired. I am really tired. And I get up and I have my own time before I have my time as a family. But at 5.30 I get the family up. Sometimes I'd like to continue in my own time, but I can't. Because this is my time, purposeful, to do family devotions. We had family devotions from 5.30 to 6 in the morning, and I still do with Ben and with Shireen. Once they get beyond high school, it's up to them. And, and, uh, um, but we did this. There are steps that you take as a couple to pray together. There are relationships that are built. You build this house on this rock, and it will stand. And if you think that you can willy-nilly just go ahead and do this, that your marriage is going to be fine because you love each other, I have known, I have never known anyone to get married, any couple to get married, that didn't love each other. I am sure it happens sometimes, but I've never known anyone. So to say that you have love means nothing, absolutely nothing. That love can quickly fade, and it does. It must be built with a deeper love and a commitment to relationship that even if I don't particularly feel that I love you today and I feel or I appear very loving, there is a commitment where I have made a promise to God that I would care for this person for the rest of my life until death do us part. So even though we went to counseling many times in our marriage, Never was, was, was divorce an option. In either of our minds, that was never an option. It was never even a consideration. It wasn't, we have to go to counseling to keep from getting divorced. No. It's, we're going to counseling because we want to live at peace. We want there to be peace in the home. There is a commitment that goes deeper. You build this house, you must be purposeful in building the house, in building the relationships. And if you go into this thing that I am going to make this thing work, and you just drive this thing, and, you, and there are some who say, well, I want to make it work, but the other party doesn't want to make it work. I, I agree. I have seen that. I've seen that happen. This is where you discuss this thing up front, and you start driving toward this thing. And very often, the one who wants to make it work can pray that other person in. But remember, there is no other option. We are going to make this work. 
you must build your house upon this rock. You build it on the truths of the Scriptures, you will be so much better off. These truths stand, and I've watched lives, and I've seen lots of very sophisticated people. They're very sophisticated, and they know better than the Bible. They know what to do. Oh, that's not important. That's not important. And their lives fall apart. Give them a decade, and it will begin to fall apart. They're very sophisticated. They're too smart for the Word of God. Never think yourself so sophisticated and intelligent and so grandiose that you can't get on your knees and pray and open up the Word of God and say, God, teach me. Here I am, a sinner. Teach me. Teach me. And then you will receive and you will build this house upon the rock. Let's read on. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And when Jesus had finished these words... The crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So how did their scribes teach? In their literature from that day, it's the same literature you read today. The same Mishnah that they had then, they have now. It's been added to, but the same thing. And you will read it. Rabbi so-and-so says in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, such and such. And Rabbi so-and-so says... Jesus didn't say any of that. He never says, in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, let me proclaim this to you. He just, boom! He just says it. Because he has the authority to speak the word of God. He's not speaking in the name of anyone. He is God. He comes and he speaks this. And he speaks this to them and they go, whoa! We've never heard teaching like this. They have never heard teaching other than one man speaking in the name of another and another and another. And you read in the Mishnah. You can read it. This rabbi disagrees with that rabbi. And it goes on and on and, and goes back and forth. Over centuries, just, just, just going back and forth. And you see this. Jesus just comes and He gives them plainly the Word of God. It says, He was teaching, and, 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 uh, for He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Let me tell you, when you start speaking the Word of God, speak it with purpose. Speak it with boldness. Speak the Word of God. And it resonates. It resonates. You can take the Word of God and speak it. You know, the times when I thought, well, I really don't want to upset anybody, and I'll just, you know, kind of sheepishly talk about this and say, you know, know, but we're all different. This is for me and it's for me. It never goes over well. Never. You take the Word of God and you speak it forth. The Word of God is true and it is right. I have seen chemistry lectures where the content of the lecture was not very good. But the speaker loved it and just spoke about it and everyone was wow. I mean, the content wasn't even there. But because that individual believed it and believed it to really be good... I mean, it just, it's, you take this Word of God, you make it part of your heart, and you speak this out boldly, not ashamedly, not bashfully, but speak it out. It, you, you know, the, the, the Scripture says that we are not to speak timidly. We are to speak boldly this Word. For the, for the kingdom of God does not consist of timidness. It speaks of boldness. 
We are to speak this Word of God boldly. You make it a part of your heart and say, Lord, teach me from your Word. I am telling you, this book, every word in it, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, this book, in its original, uh, original text, is absolutely perfect. This is God's Word. We don't vacillate on that. We don't change that. This is God's Word. This is God's Word. This is God's truth. And you may say, that's not for today. You are wrong. You will die, and this book will remain. You will be totally forgotten. Nobody will have any remembrance of you at all. And this book will remain. And still have the power to work in a person's life. This book is so different than all the philosophies of this world. There was a man, he came, a preacher came into a town and he started preaching. And as he was preaching, one man was standing there and just shaking his head through the whole thing. And finally he said to the man, what is your problem? He says, I have a better way. The man said, he, so the preacher said, what is your better way? He said, communism is the better way. I've seen communism to be a better way. He says, fine, I am a visitor in this town. I have just come into this town. Tomorrow at 5 p.m. I will meet you here. I will meet you here. I will bring 12 people that I will find in this town that this Word of God has absolutely changed their lives and will testify of it. I will bring 12. You bring 6 people that will come here and say communism has so changed their lives. You bring 6. I will meet you here at 5 o'clock. You live here. I don't. I'll find them. He came back the next day with like 25 people. All he had to do was go down to the mission and speak with some of the people there who testified of what God had done in their lives. That guy didn't even show up. There was nobody to bring. This idea of communism, of socialism, of, or any other ism doing something to change a person's heart is so wrong. This book, this word, Jesus coming into a life, changes a person's heart. This is what takes a person from being depressed on the verge of killing themselves and saying, I want to live my life to serve God. This is what takes a person who's addicted to pornography and sex and drugs and changes their lives and turns them over to serving God. You can see testimony after testimony where this book, where the life of Jesus Christ has come into a person's life and like that, this person begins to change. This book does it. Those philosophies do not. And professors will stand up sometimes and speak about this thought and that thought and this this philosophy and that. And you look at the professor's life, you're like, I don't want to be like you. Your wife hates you. Your kids hate you. I don't want to be like you. Look at their lives. This book will change. This book will remain. This is the book you take and you make this your meditation and it will remain. This is the foundation. Jesus spoke as having authority. You take this book, you make it a part of your life and unabashedly speak forth the things of this word. Speak forth the things of this word. Because this is truth. You want truth? It is embodied here. In Jesus Christ is the embodiment of truth. It is here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Abba, Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. You are so good. I pray, my Father for these young people. That you would so build them up in the truth of the Scriptures. Father, that they would build a firm foundation in their Christian lives. That you would build in them a firm foundation 
and that they would build this house of their lives like a wise man founded upon the rock of Jesus. Father, that they would be purposeful in their lives in building. That they would take hold of the word of God as spoken by Jesus and they would speak it boldly and with authority and not with timidity. Father, I pray that their marriages would last and that they would take hold of you and I commit them to you. Abba, have mercy on them, I pray. Have mercy. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.